1209, this is Jeff Wagner. Fair warning, I am in a mood today. I don't exactly know how to describe the mood. Eric Bilstead, right, right before the live read of the news, you make me laugh. No, I, I, <laughs> You're blaming me? <laughs> I blame, well, it's just, I, okay, during the newscast, right, now, now yesterday the news broke about the Sam's Club in Wauwatosa, West Dallas, it's closing, right? Matter of fact, we, had, we, we talked, we actually did a segment about, you know, what, they were closing lots of them across the country. What's going on? We had, we had a call from a woman who works there and found out when they, she got a FedEx letter delivered to her doorstep that morning. And, and, and I really do feel bad for the, the employee. I mean, the, the employees that lost their jobs, they're the ones that you feel bad for. But I, I, I admit, I did have to, during your, your newscast, and I don't, I don't mean to mock the, the news stuff, but, you know, we were, we were talking about that. There's interviews with people. With the one guy, it's like the end of, where am I going to go? They closed the Sam's Club. He's a customer. He's right, a, yeah. yeah. Right. The, I mean, right. It's like, where are we going to go? I, actually, I have a text from one of our, our listeners who says, for anyone upset about where they will be able to find gallon jars of olives or crates of pudding, there is still a <laughs> Sam's Club on Springdale Road in Waukesha near the Majestic Theater. I mean, right. It, it's we're, we're not dealing with earthquakes or mudslides or riots or fires or anything like that. I mean, it's it's a Sam's Club that, that's close. And again, I feel bad for the workers. I, I do. They're, there's the ones who lost the job. But again, if you want to buy like a 10-pound jar of pickles, there are places to go buy a giant 10-pound bar of pickles. There is good news, too, that many of those workers will be able to transfer right. to other shops. Yeah, that's well, what she so. said she would talk. But again, it's kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, it's it's like the... the the, the customer, I guess that is a it is a tribute that you have kind of that like that brand loyalty that that you're out there. But I just that 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 kind of highlights the mood I am in. All right, we start off today's show like we start off every show with three big things. All right, last night I oh, okay. So last night, let me kind of back into this entire story. And Gru, I who's producing the show today and always, I am warning you today. You might want to sit with your hand close to the dump button. Not that I'm worried about callers, but I'm worried about me because this word that the president said that got him in all the trouble, I use that word. I, I, people are shocked. I, I, and I'll, I'll tell the whole story. So, so last night, remember we, we had that this incredible weather. You know, it was 51 degrees when I got off the air at three o'clock. Now, I think if you're a regular listener, you know, right now at least temporary, temporarily, my wife and I are living in West Bend, so I, I have this commute that I, I never had before. And, of course, the forecast was icy rain and amazing drops in temperature. So I was trying to get home before, because the way I typically go home is I go 43 north to Saukville, get off on Highway 33, otherwise known as the Devil's Highway, and drive from Saukville across to West Bend. State Highway 33 on the best days is treacherous. And I'm thinking, okay, like freezing rain and stuff, really, really bad. So I was trying to get out of here early. I had meetings. I didn't get out here until 4 o'clock. I had all these different errands to run. So it was amazing. As I'm driving home, I'm, um, I, you could just see the temperature dropping. I mean, it was 51 degrees when I left the studio. By the time I got to West Bend, like two hours later, it was, it was down to 32. And the, the rain was, it was starting to come in as ice. I just, I, I beat it home. So then I... I go in, I, I kind of turn on the news, and I hear all the reports about the, the president, you know, and, and, and it's, I'm just kind of like trying to process all this. I have made a point uh, of not listening to any commentary. I, I've just, I've, I've tried, I, I have not heard what any other commentators say about this, because I want to share with you my reaction. 
And then we're going to open up the phone lines. This is, of course, big thing number one, the story of what President Trump said. Everybody knows that he went out and said he was in this meeting with the ter- with uh, senators. They were talking about immigration reform. And he said something to the effect of, you know, why are we so concerned with bringing in people from these blank whole countries? Except he didn't say blank whole countries. And he was referring, I think, to um, places like you know, Haiti and El Salvador, where we have, because of the conditions in those countries, we have for the last 10, 15 years, in some cases, allowed people to come in under this temporary protected access program. And and now he's ending that. So but he uses that term. Now, I want to kind of back into this. I'm going to give you my reaction. And this is one where I I know what I'm about to say is probably going to be you will probably almost everybody will disagree with me about one aspect or another about of what I'm about to say because I I have what I think is the definitively correct answer on how we should treat the president's comments. But I'm willing to agree, acknowledge that maybe nobody's going to agree with me on this, but that doesn't mean that I don't think I'm right. I will share with you in less than two minutes how I interpret the situation from yesterday. Stick around. It's 1213. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1216, WTMJ. All right. I confess, I have used the phrase that people say that the president used um, to describe certain countries yesterday. And and I've used it over the years. I, I remember, for example, when I was in college, we were on the national debate team. We traveled all over the country. Um, at one point in time, we were going to this debate tournament in some place in Kansas. It was actually it was kind of near um, Holcomb, Kansas. We went through, which was the In Cold Blood place, or the old movie In Cold Blood. This this was like we and we drove and drove forever and ever, and we got to whatever the city was in, in Kansas. And I remember walking out into the small town, and um, I used that word. I distinctly remember. I walked out. And I looked at this little small t- town in Kansas, and I, I said, "What a blank!" I remember that because some of the people over this kind of kind of laughed, and they all agreed with me. Now, I I don't think I didn't mean it as a racist term because I, I candidly don't think that there was a person of color within probably a thousand miles of where I was at, at the time. It was just a descriptive term to kind of describe this particular place. I have used that term in the last couple weeks. I, I, I'll. I'll tell you the context of this. Um, I was talking to a an acquaintance of mine, and we were talking about my, my niece. And I share these stories. I think people know my niece is a freshman at San Diego State. And somebody asked me, how did she end up there? And um, I, I said, well, um, I, I said, I, you know, she – she liked Madison, but she kind of wanted to get a little further away from home. And she was looking at the University of Minnesota, but you know Minneapolis is is kind of cold. And she, w- I'm, I'm not going to mention the city or the school because inevitably somebody will be from there and be offended. And I, but I said, and then she looked at this other place. It was a place in the Southwest, and uh, she liked the school, but the city where it was located. I, I said, well. You know, she went there, but the school is located in this particular city, and I said, and this fill-in-the-blank city is, and then I used that word. And actually, the person I was talking to laughed and said, yeah, I've been there for business a couple times. It is. And then they used that word. And I said, then she looked at San Diego, and it was all over because you got San Diego. So, I, I mean, I admit I have used that phrase 
Um, I have never thought it was an inherently racist term. Rather, it was used to, again, describe the, the overall city. And, and it can be for, you know, many different reasons why you might describe it as that. And again, it's just, uh, you know, it's not necessarily something that is literal, but I, I have used that. My guess is maybe you have used it a- as well. So I, I don't necessarily see this as being an inherently racist situation. And, and of course, that's the way everybody wants to interpret it, or at least people that don't like President Trump. That's the way they want to interpret that this has to be this inherently racist thing because he was using it in the context referring to countries like Haiti and El Salvador, but of course, these countries. I mean, let I'm not going to use that term, but let's let's face it. I mean, these countries. The reason why this was coming up in the immigration context was that these are countries that, because of conditions in the countries, earthquakes, civil unrest, or whatever, have been part of this program where you have large numbers of people that have been allowed to come into this country um, for a temporary purpose. Um, while because of the conditions in that country. So they are clearly countries that are challenged and things like that. So he, he uses this term. He could have, I, I guess, said, you know, why are we spending so much time worried about immigration from some of these, you know, fill in a blank, you know, different types of countries. He uses that pejorative term, and then everybody says it's racist. I don't know that I consider that term to be inherently racist as opposed to, you know, a description. So that that's the the people want to play the race card and of course because it's Donald Trump we want to go to that route all right so that i don't know that i'm convinced it is inherently racist having said that though i i do agree that this is the leader of the free world and what you say matters and you know using those types of terms to describe countries including countries that you may have to deal with, is, and I like the way Paul Ryan phrased it this morning, you know, he was in Milwaukee talking, I, I would say it's it's not it's not helpful. <laughs> you know, and and again, I think the president needs to be more mindful of the fact that, you know, he could have easily said, if he had said, look, I, I want to get this immigration deal done, but, you know, we have to figure out, you know, ways to, again, control the flow of people in this country and figure out how long we stay. And I guess I'm, you know, what I, I maybe we need to spend more time worrying about this problem than worrying about people who've been in the country from El Salvador for the last 15 years. I mean, there's different ways that he could have said this without using the terminology that he did. There's no question about it. And I agree that it is not helpful, and I agree that he probably should have choosed other words. At the same time, I mean, is this now the whole story is this means Donald Trump is inherently racist. This is more evidence of that. And I think that is an overreaction as well. 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this comment evidence that we have a president who is racist, you know, to the whatever degree, or is it just simply another example of, you know, President Trump not be shooting from the hip, I guess is the way I would phrase it, shooting from the hip. And again, I'm a little bit sensitive to this because I don't know about you, but I will confess I have used that particular term and I use it to describe places. It's never occurred to me that that would be a racist 
term. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, of course, the spin that it's getting. This is, of course, the analysis. This means that the president is racist. Is that what this means? Or is this being blown out of proportion? And in saying that, I will acknowledge that this is an example where I think shooting from the hip did not help him at all, especially given the fact that you know that a lot of people in that room are trying to do everything they possibly could to undermine him. 414-799-1620. Okay, we're back with your calls in just a minute. Gru is lining them up. Is this an inherently racist term? Is this evidence that the president is racist, or is it just evidence that, you know, sometimes he speaks without thinking through the full implications of what he's saying. 1223, we're back with your calls in less than two minutes. Please hold on. 1223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Roger texts and many calls. Racist or not, presidents shouldn't be talking like that. The man has no class. And I I, I don't disagree with that. I, I don't. At the same time, um, I let's not be naive. Um, presidents... Lyndon Johnson, um, you know, used profanity. What's the phrase from Christmas Story? You know, he, he worked in profanity the way artists work in, in oils. Um, Bill Clinton had a very, very foul mouth. Joe Biden had a very foul mouth. Barack Obama had a foul mouth. But what would happen is the stuff that they said in private stayed in private. In this particular case, because it's Donald Trump, well, it ends up being public. And again, I'm, I'm not defending the language. I want to talk about this association, that the idea that this automatically means that he is racist. 414-799-1620. Let's start with, let's see, Brian in Mequon. Brian, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. What do you think? I don't know. My thoughts are this. I mean, obviously, we'd like them to zip his lips sometimes. I think he speaks before he uh, thinks. But I think part of that is he's not politically correct, and he doesn't mind offending people sometimes. But I think the way he looks at things through a, through a business spectrum sometimes, I think he'd like to bring the best and the brightest here. You know, if he's going to look to hire somebody at one of his companies or in the past, if he wanted to, he's not going to look to hire somebody with a GED. He's going to look for somebody with a, you know, a business degree from Harvard. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in his heart of hearts, I think he wants to do his best for the United States. And the end result, he looks and says, well, what, what are these people bringing to the table for us? Why are we saving the world all the time? Right. Um, and, and so that's you, you think that's what he means when he's now, of course, he's, he's also using it in the context. He met with the um, he met with the ambassador from Norway, I think, the day before. So he's thinking Norway and he's saying, OK, why are we bringing people in from, you know, th- this from Haiti instead of Norway? And people are saying, well, you juxtapose that and you get the racist thing. You think you're, he's not talking about color of people. He's talking about uh, backgrounds of people. Or the quality and what they're bringing to the table. But the other part of that is, too, I mean, if he would have said third world country, if he would have said countries like this, they would have twisted and turned it to, to racist anyway. I, I don't think no matter what he would have said, it would have been taken wrong. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Katie and Mequon. Katie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. You, you just touched on it, and I, and I wanted to bring it up. Um, I think that the juxtaposition of those countries against Norway is what implies an element, not not necessarily all, but an element of racism to his comments. The other, for me, bigger concern is okay. So me, so me, me standing in me standing in Emporia, Kansas, coming out and saying, "Boy, what a blank!" Um, that in that context, people wouldn't assume that would be racist. Um, right. But if I said, 
boy, um, I don't know, fill in the blank. You know, boy, Detroit compared to Emporia, Kansas is really, it's that juxtaposition is what you're saying. Yes, I think that is what creates that element of racism. And again, just to take it a step further, the bigger concern I have is the fact that he has to ask the question at all. Um, He's referring to troubled, impoverished, damaged countries and, and to ask why we would welcome those people in versus a country like Norway. The fact he has to ask that question is just incredibly alarming to me. Alarming or racist or both? Um, more alarming than racist, okay. but both. Okay, fair enough. No, th- th- I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, because you, you can also make that 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 precise argument that you just made, which is, it, it shouldn't matter where people are coming from, um, and, and he shouldn't care about the quote unquote quality of, of the immigrants. What does it matter if it's people who are you know skilled scientists who are coming from one country versus people who are fleeing the, the results of, you know, earthquakes in El Salvador or whatever. And, and I think that that that's a fair issue. Um, the question is, does it have racial overtones? Because when you're talking about Norway, you're talking about a country that's probably all or if not almost all, almost all, if not all white versus a country like Haiti, for example, that uh, probably is almost all black if not if not entirely all right we're going to continue the conversation right there you know was this an inherently racist comment or was it just i don't know a a cavalier remark that while perhaps inappropriate is being blown out of proportion if you're on the line please hold on It's 1236, Jeff Wecker, WTMJ, the Bucks entertain Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and the defending champion Warriors in their only visit to Milwaukee this season. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause begin our Buckshots coverage at 640 tonight here on WTMJ. I, I do admit, as I, as I heard about the story last night, I'm just, on the one hand, I, I'm I'm kind of processing it, and I'm, I'm shaking my head because it is, an, whatever the president intended, and I, I don't know that I'm convinced at, at all that this was that this was as racist as people are making it, it seem as somebody who has used that term in, in the past and acknowledges it. And I've never even thought of it in a racist racial type, type of context. I've thought of it as describing a particular location. I have been into towns that were exclusively white. You know, you couldn't find a minority person for 400 miles for 400 miles. And I've thought of the town in that particular you know terminology. Um, I do understand context is important but regardless of what the intent was i I am shaking my head thinking all right this is just another distraction and when you are the president of the united states you you need you need to think about what you say and it's one thing to be a big time developer and to be you know talking to your minions uh you probably have a flexibility and a freedom to use language and terms that you know, you don't as the president of the United States. I, I do think there's somewhat of a double standard because my guess is that Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and certainly Joe Biden, you know, said things like this all the time, maybe not quite in this context, but they used, you know, expletives and they used charged terms, but it, it never got brought up because people kept it quiet. That's not defending, you know, Trump's use of the term, though, because it creates whatever his intent was. Now, this is going to be the story for the next three or four days. Is the president racist? Lisa in Mequon. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there, Jeff. What do you think? I think your processing of this term might be headed in the wrong direction. 
if you use any descriptive term, uh, a pejorative term, uh, it's fine. It has no bearing on racism whatsoever. However, right. So, so again, me, me standing, me standing in the in the little town in in Kansas, looking around and saying, "Boy, what a blank." That's not an inherently racist term. Okay. All right. Of course, it's not. It's apples and oranges, I believe. Um, so. If you look at what he said, and we don't actually have a direct quote, quote right. but the, the, uh, the, the quote we do have, which is not direct, is that the people from these asshole countries. So, as being a linguist, I like to know that people is the subject of the, the uh, discussion, and countries is the object, and the subject trumps the object, and which carries more meaning. And so he is actually talking about the people. Oh, I see. The people, not the subject. Um, so... Are, are we yeah. over? I, I, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm looking at again the the summaries of the quotations that you're saying too. And I, I guess I you're seeing that. Are, are we perhaps overthinking it? Do you think that's what he meant, or was it again this just sloppy use of language? Well, it is sloppy use yeah. of language. It's sloppy use of. I, well, I wouldn't uh, use that term well, in that context, regardless, because it's yeah, created all these use problems. That term, Jeff, and it's um, that term is not inherently racist unless you use it in a racist context. However, we do have situations of overlay where he has shown himself to be a racist. So, uh, you know, uh, for example, Haiti and Africa. He, we didn't see a direct quote on this, but it has been said that he said that Haitians all have AIDS and Africans all live in huts. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, if if he shows himself to be this, we we have to believe it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm believing it and uh, and you know, I'm I'm very fearful. Well, I mean, the, I, the one thing that we definitely agree on, Lisa, is that it, it's 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 a he created he created a problem for himself um by by using that term um whether it is reflective of what's in his heart or not it is you do I, i'm just kind of shaking my head saying why would you say that in a room full of people that you know a good portion of them are very very hostile to you and you know that they're going to turn around or run around and the first thing they do is find a microphone and say you're not going to believe what the president just said short answer is because he's a racist. He's showing us who he is. Let's believe him. Got it. Thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. Well, that's and, and again, what she's doing is and I mean, she's looking at she says, OK, the the, the quotation that is being reported. And again, there, there's not a tape of this. And and he denies that he he said it, um, I guess. It, the, the quotation is, why are we having all these people from blank countries come here? Um, and and, and she's saying it's when you use the the phrase "these people," you're talking about the, the people as opposed to the the countries. Uh, I, again, I think it's kind of a just it's an imprecise use of language. But again, it's one of these situations where whatever is in his heart, you 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 have now created this issue that you didn't necessarily need to. Um, let's talk to let's see uh, Brian in Brookfield. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How are you? I am well, thank you. It's just it, it's it's we live in interesting times, don't we? We do. And yeah. I, I I'm going to pile on a little from the last caller. Sure. 
where he has made comments about Africans living in huts, Haitians all have AIDS, the Pocahontas comments, yeah. his Charlottesville comments, uh, the Mexican judge comments, yep. the Mexican immigrant comments. So he has a clear, clear pattern of racism. And it's, it's undeniable. You look at the body of work of someone, not just one comment. So if it was just this, this if it was just this comment, what you're saying is, okay, maybe you can understand imprecise or whatever, but you think looking at the track record over the last year and a half, it's clear this Absolutely. is just the way the guy thinks. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, okay. Thanks for calling. I mean, I, again, and people are going to have to decide for themselves. It's, it's just again, it's it's a distraction. See, and that, that's why I go back to how I started the segment. I do agree with Paul Ryan that regardless of whether you are a, a Trump supporter or or not, these are the types of things that aren't helpful. And I think that's a, a fair way to describe it. If we're trying to move on what is a very real problem in this country, which is you know, dealing with the issues of immigration. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know, one of the things I talk about all the time is how I, I just, I mean, I think we have to enforce the immigration laws that we have now, but I do think we need to take a broader look at, at where we're going with immigration because you can't deport 11 million people that are in this country illegally. Um, let's talk to Chuck in Madison. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Nice to talk to you. What do you think? I have no problem with the term. I use it all the time, often to refer to a bar. Um, right. Yeah, right. I, it, right. It, it's instead of saying a dive bar, you say, hey, this bar I yeah. went to on Friday night is a real fill-in-the-blank. I've said that, too, yes. Yeah. And I agree with the other callers about the context and saying, you know, we'd rather have more people from Norway, which are white people, versus right. Haiti, which are brown people. I, I, I agree with you, too, and... and he had these people in the room, and he really blew it up. Now Dick Durbin is challenging him, saying he said it, and Dick Durbin was one of the people in the room, and he really lost an opportunity to lead and and maybe get something done, but yeah. now it's totally been diverted to this stupid, stupid discussion. And I do believe he brings it on himself. He reminds <laughs> me some of the of some of the people I grew up with just uh, who said racist things and really were good people. And they didn't even realize they were saying it. Well, it, it's it's part of a continuing problem, and we, we talk about this with the with the tweets. And you know, I, I always make you know, I, I make the argument, Chuck, that I think in some respects you you've got to with, with Trump, you've got to try to separate style from substance. And I think the substance of some of the stuff that's done is great, but it is the style or it is the the incessant use of tweets that gets us completely and totally off message. So you're right. Instead of discussing today, you know, the merits of of an immigration bill, and do you need to, how do we keep the dreamers in, and do you need to tie that into building money to try and enhance border security? We're talking about, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking yeah. about, you know, what we're talking about today. Yeah, that's, and that's the frustrating thing for me as well. I don't know what's in the man's heart, but you do wish that he would be more careful in, in how he expresses himself, because it's at best it is a distraction. At worst, it's evidence that he is a racist, none of which helps us try to get things accomplished in this country. I must say, though, Jeff, that you kind of predicted this back in 2016. I, yeah. I listen to you religiously. I rarely ever call, but... I, you know, you predicted this, and here we are. Yeah, so. no, it, it, I mean, thanks. That was my my hope was that the, the the Donald Trump we saw during the campaign once once he won would would take on a a different mantle and would would become 
I, I think just more presidential. And and I understand there's a lot of people that, that voted for President Trump because drain the swamp and we like it and he tells us it is like it is and things like that. And, and that has an appeal. I, I get it. But it ends up, again, being a distraction um, that, that keeps you – we're not talking about the policy. All right. We, you know, I, I don't I don't know what was in this immigration bill. Um, but, you know, if, if it got uh, somewhere on the dreamers thing, which is a huge controversy and it got some money for more border security, it would have been a good thing. Now it strikes. It seems that that's pretty much, again, dead in the water and, and people are going to be having to decide, OK, is the guy racist or, or not? And looking at the body of work. And, and again, I, I think I continue to believe I think that some individual stuff ends up getting taken out of context and i don't i don't believe that this particular phrase is inherently racist and that comes from somebody who does use the phrase from time to time but i i agree that if you start coupling these things together more and more people are going to say see this shows where the guy's heart really is all i know is it moves us away from where we really want to be and you know this is going to be the dialogue for the next several days until then somebody said, oh, we'll be talking about this for two months. And the truth is, no, we won't, because within a day or two, there's going to be some new tweet or there's going to be something else that we're going to be discussing that people are going to be outraged about as well. But this is it's a self-inflicted wound to the extent he said it. And candidly, I, I think he probably did. All right. Big story number two is coming up. It's 1248. This is Jeff Wagner. Um, big story number two, by the way. If you camp in Wisconsin State Parks, be prepared to spend a little bit more. Stick around. 1251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Guru is producing the show. I'm getting all these emails. It's people trying to guess what major city in the southwest that hosts, hosts a university I described as that particular term. You know, I don't, no, I See, I'm not going to – do you want to you take a guess? Well, you have to pick one. You just, you just named two – uh, you should go on with the other one, yeah. <laughs> but but you should have gone. You should have gone with the other. You said Reno. No, I would. You said Reno, and then you said another one. No, I Reno. I was not including in that. But yes, you you got it in the second. But I, I, I now see. But I I would say that. But if I mentioned that, inevitably there would be somebody from that city who would become very very offended, and you know they they they'd call up and they say, "How dare you describe this particular? How dare anybody from Milwaukee use that term to describe people from?" You know what, whatever that city is, and, and then I, I'm down that track of being accused of being a racist. Or I don't even know what the the I don't even know what the ethnic makeup of is that particular city. I just know every time I've been there, if I had, you know, one word, two syllables to you know describe that place, it would be that that one. Everybody's trying to guess on that. Yeah, you got it in two. All right, big story number two, um, the the DNR. Um, it is announcing they have plans to increase the the camping fees for some of the most popular campgrounds in the state. Um, one of the things that's going on now is in, in more and more industries, they're using what they call surge pricing. Uh, the brewers do it. It's something that, you know, for example, Major League Baseball does. You will pay more money to see a Saturday night home game against the Chicago Cubs um, in July than you will to see a Tuesday afternoon or a Tuesday evening game against, I don't know, you know, fill in, fill in the blank, against the Seattle Mariners in April. You, they, they Brewers, they have different tiers of pricing, and the most popular games 
on the most popular times, you will pay more money for. You know, movies have been doing this for the longest time. You want to go to a movie, you go to a matinee on a Thursday afternoon, you're going to pay less for your ticket than you're going to pay if you go to you know a Saturday night show. And, and it's because they price according to the demand. The, the state is starting to do that. Here's what they announced. Um, they, they've identified some of their most popular parks. And, you know, what they've said is that for um, – they're talking about camping at 38 of their various properties. They're going to increase the fee for 38 of them, and then they're going to decrease the fee for 36 of them. Um, the most popular parks, Devil's Lake – Peninsula up in Door County, we played golf there last year, and Willow River would increase. For example, one of the things that they are looking at doing, let's see, was it Devil's Lake that they're going from like $30 to $37? I mean, so, but they are saying, okay, we're going to increase the, we're going to increase the camping fees at some of the most popular ones, and we'll balance it out by decreasing them at some of the least popular ones. But the idea being people want to go to Devil's Lake and camp. People want to go to Peninsula State Park and camp. So what we're going to do is, as a way of maximizing revenue, yeah, if you want to go during the high times and you want to go at the most popular places, you will pay a bit more. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't have a, a problem with this, and it strikes me that what you have the state doing here is, again, simply doing something that reflects you know, what is going on in society in general, namely the whole concept of supply and demand. If you want to go and camp at one of the places where the demand is the greatest, yeah, then you're going to have to pay a little bit more. On the other hand, if you want to go to find a place that's a little bit off the beaten track or whatever, we're actually going to balance it out, and then you know you can pay a little bit less. I don't think this is price gouging at all. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As a matter of fact, I think that's smart, and I guess it's tough for me to be too upset about it because, like I say, I know if I'm going to a movie on Saturday night at 7 o'clock, I'm going to pay more for that ticket than if I'm going, you know, Tuesday at, you know, a matinee at 3 o'clock. 414-799-1620, is this price gouging or does it make sense? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's big story number two. It's 1256. This is Jeff Wagner. 110, Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, love him or hate him, the president has certainly changed the dialogue with regard to it was, I don't know that I'd, I'd ever thought we'd see the day where um, that particular eight-letter phrase that the president used is, like, prominently displayed. Now, I, I we amazing? chose not to say it, but, I mean, it's it, it's all over TV, you know, different TV stations, cable TV stations With are the making a decision right to, right, to put that word in there, and and it, it is it is written in various newspapers. I mean, nobody's trying to... And it, it, it actually it appears on our website as well. You know, it's just you know we, we don't say it on the air, but isn't it an amazing dynamic that we're you know we're this now we're now talking about this particular phrase that you didn't necessarily think that you'd see bandied about. Never, I never thought I'd see the day where you'd see a graphic, you know, any president colon and then that word in right. quotes like that. I, that was amazing. It was so surreal. To see that, and it's still up even today. They oh, still have it up. Oh well, well, yeah, but I mean, like I'm looking at our text line in in the last segment. Our second big story was the fact that they're going to 
um, they're, they're using a graduated pricing system for the, the DNR. So if you want to go to one of the popular parks mm-hmm. in the summer, you're going to have to pay more. And if you want to go to one of the less popular parks, they're reducing the price on that. Yeah. One of our one of our people on the text line say, so what you're telling me is if you want to go to a <laughs> blank park, you pay less. <laughs> you know? oh, it's, wow. it's kind of like that. That's going to be the dialogue from now on. We're going to we're going to use that in these different phrases. Well, what amazed me, I know Jim Acosta on CNN, he you he was one of the first ones, if not the first reporter to actually drop the word yesterday to say it on air during his stand up. And at first I was like, wow, you know, then I was like, okay, well, it is cable. And right. then I started thinking about it. if you watch a lot of those shows like on FX, any movie. Oh, yeah, all the basic cable. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, they use some of those words. And I'm very hypersensitive in my house just because I have three little kids. But I, I, I guess I understand it if it's the commander in chief. But I would never, I, we would never say it on the radio. I just, I can't imagine that ever coming up. Where no, we well, remember South word. Park, remember a few years ago, South Park did the thing where they used that word, the S word, and they used it like 46 or 47 times, you know, <laughs> and it was, it was cable, and it was, yeah. just, but it, I mean, it was in that entertainment context, but it's just, the, the rules continue to change, and no, I did not mean to imply that it, you can pay less to go to, for my friends at the DNR, I didn't mean to imply <laughs> that, you know, you can pay less to go to a Use that word, campground. I'm sure all the different park facilities in the state are absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm, it's just sure. the ones that are in more demand you pay a little bit more money for. All right. As I, as I said at the start of the show, if you weren't listening at like 8 after 12, I'm in a mood today. So I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I freely admit I am in a mood today. Um, all right. Big story number three. Now, this this kind of got pushed to, the, the figuratively speaking, the back pages because, again, of all the controversy involving this meeting with the president. But it has the potential to be a big a big deal. Um, perhaps former Vice President Joe Biden would have described it as a big blanking deal, but it, it's got the potential to be a, a big deal. Um, in an effort as part of his Wisconsin Works initiative, you know, Governor Walker has been pushing for different initiatives to allow him to try to require people who are able to work um, to work as conditions of getting various forms of public assistance. Um, What happens, of course, is because a lot of those programs, even though perhaps administered by the state, depend on federal money. You need to get federal waivers to do these things. And under the Obama administration, there was little or no interest in trying to, you know, give program waivers to, you know, allow states to experiment with more ideas to try to get people, you know, actually working. Well, what happened yesterday, and, and the governor for the longest time has been pushing this notion that as a condition of getting Medicaid, like qualifying for like Badger Care or something like like that, what you should do if you are childless, so you don't have child care responsibilities, and you are able-bodied and able to work. So we're not talking about people who have disabilities we're um, not talking about the elderly, but this is really targeted at people uh, 19 to 49. And believe me, I'm not implying that you're elderly if you're over 50. But it's targeted at people, you know, 19 to 49. And what the governor has been wanting is that as a condition of staying on Medicaid, 
what you need to do is you need to be working. And so his proposal was essentially that you, you limit the ability of people to stay on Medicaid to 48 months unless they are meeting the work requirement. The time that you are working or participating in job training, that doesn't count against that 48-month period. He was never able to do that under the Obama administration because Obama, the Obama administration wouldn't give waivers. The Trump administration um, yesterday indicated that, uh, yeah, they are, they are open to this. And the Trump administration is saying that, you know, they will, they will approve waivers that put in work requirements as long as you exclude pregnant women, the disabled, the elderly, and you have to make allowances for recipients who are undergoing treatment for substance abuse. But otherwise, the idea would be that you, you have to work. Um, to qualify for these programs, especially for a long period of time. Our numbers, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, of course, you, you've got a number of the usual suspects who are out there saying, oh, this is the war on the poor, this is just terrible. I, I, I actually, I could not disagree more. The truth of the matter is that the, the quickest avenue out of dependency is, is employment. And to the extent that you are able to work, yeah, I, I think that you should have to work. And if you can't find a job, well, then, you know, you need to be in some sort of job training facility or job hunting or, you know, some training type of program, type of program that helps you develop the skills so that you can, in fact, get a, a job. Now, it's not fair to say that if people have child care responsibilities. Obviously, if you're disabled, if you're not able to work, that's a different story. But if you've got some 23- or 24-year-old, for example, who's able to work but simply doesn't want to work, I don't think that there should be. I don't think that there's anything wrong with saying, hey, as a condition of getting this benefit, yeah, you either got to get your butt off the couch, you know, get away from the TV set and go out and find yourself a job or alternatively be in some if and look, and I, I understand that there's always issues with trying to hook up people with jobs. I get that. Well, all right, then if you don't have a job, then you need to be enrolled in some sort of training program to help you develop a skill to get the job. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And candidly, I, I don't see this as being this war on the poor. To me, this is something, if you want to get people out of poverty, what you need to do is you need to eliminate dependence on the government. And the way you eliminate dependence on the government is by getting people into the workforce. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 118. This is Jeff Wagner. 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, buried in all the news about what President Trump said at this meeting on immigration. was an announcement that came out yesterday that the federal government is going to start granting waivers to, to states who want to impose work requirements. That's been something Governor Walker's been talking about for the longest time as a condition of staying on the Medicaid program, like getting the insurance and things like that. He wants to have a requirement that able-bodied people without child care responsibilities have to work at least 80 hours a month. I mean, 80 hours a month. So you're talking about, on average, 20 hours a week or be enrolled in some sort of job training program. In other words, you just can't sit around in mom's basement and collect these benefits without at least working 
or without trying to get yourself in a position where you can work. What the governor is trying to do, and it's something that I support 125%, is is the quickest way to get off poverty, to get out of government dependence, is to get yourself a, a job, and he's trying to both a carrot and a stick approach, you know, the the carrot being, hey, get a job, make some money, um, the stick being, you just can't sit around forever and not work. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bill in Brookfield. Bill, good afternoon. Hi, Bill. Bill. Okay, let's try George in Chicago. George, hello. Hello. What do you think? What, a, what an unusual idea. <clears throat> Have to work? To get welfare, <laughs> right? Or, or have, right? Exactly. I mean, just have have to have to do something productive to stay and continue to get the benefits. Yeah. Who would have thought of something like this, huh? Yeah. I mean, only Lombardi and Scott Walker would think of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Well, I mean, it, it is. It, it's one of these intuitive sort of, of things. And I remember, I am old enough to remember, you know, when you had Governor Thompson, you know, Tommy Thompson, who launched the, these major welfare reforms, which essentially recognized that, look, we, we want to help people. We, we understand that there's people who go through, first of all, there's going to be a category of people that just aren't going to be able to work. That That's just the, the reality. But for people who can work, they need to, number one, we need to figure out how to connect them with the jobs. We need to, number two, see help them get the skills that they need to do the jobs. And that's kind of the obligation of the state to come up with these programs. But at the same time, there, there needs to be some incentive to say, all right, you're going to have to get up in the morning and you just can't sit around or watch TV all day or whatever and expect to collect these benefits and, again, engage in, in essentially a, a lifetime of, of not working because that is a guarantee of, of generational poverty and dependence on the government. So this is a way of trying to, you know, get at that. Let's talk to Greg in West Bend. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Um, first of all, there's dignity in work. And sure. If you talk to any employer right now, they're all looking for workers in you know, places like Foxconn. Um, right. yeah, and, uh, I mean, I think that's going to be one of the things, not just necessarily in Foxconn, but all the businesses that are going to, you know, grow up around Foxconn supporting it. Yeah, they're going to need people. Absolutely. And furthermore, there are tax breaks for child care. So that's not really an excuse either. I mean, there's no reason people shouldn't be working. Yeah. Well, even but even that but that's even off the table, because if if you're responsible for child care, this requirement doesn't apply to you, but it does apply to the 24-year-old guy who um, is able to work but chooses not to. Well, okay, if, if you want the Medicaid benefits, you got to get off your butt, you got to get away from the TV, and you got to go get yourself a job. I, and I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, no, thanks. For, I mean, I just, I just, I, I, I just don't. This is now again. You have to make exceptions, and I think the Trump administration was correct, and the Walker administration picked up on this as well. You know, if somebody's in drug treatment, okay, this doesn't apply to them. You want to help them get straight. Um, if somebody's disabled, all right. If they've got the child care responsibilities that we talked about, that that's all well and good. But I, I think you know, and then of course the requirement is, and this is we're going to be where the metal meets the meat. Um, there's got to be jobs. You know, and, and that's, I will concede, that is where this breaks down. If you have able-bodied people who, after going through the job training, aren't able to find jobs, well, then, then you've got to reassess it. 
because then if you've got somebody saying, hey, you know, I, I'm out there, I can't find any work. I can't find any work in the area where I live, and I've been trying, and I've been looking, and, you know, I'm getting frustrated with this, and you're going to pull my, my ability to get the insurance programs, and that's not fair because I'm out there looking. If that's a real problem, well, then you've got to reassess this. Now, I know one of the things, and I remember I've talked about this with the governor on multiple occasions on this show. I mean, one of the things he said is, look, we've got the jobs. We have jobs that are going begging right now, and what we need to do is we need to figure out ways to connect people with those various jobs. So I know the governor is convinced that those jobs are, in fact, out there to the extent they are. I say, yeah, that this is this is something that ends up making sense, or at least it's willing. It's something that you're willing to try. And for everybody who says this is a war on the poor, no, it's not. What is a war on the poor is allowing people to avoid working, allowing people to, again, sit around and watch TV all day when they don't have other responsibilities and they don't have an excuse for not working because that guarantees generational poverty, and that is the worst thing that you can do. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up next, be careful what you do in the airport. An object lesson. Stick around. 137, Jeff Wagner. WTMJ, my computer has a mind of its own. I'm typing one thing and it keeps taking me to a different website. Stop that. All right, here, here's the story. We, I, I have said this before. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I think one of the most thankless jobs in the world is, is being one of those TSA agents that works at airports. Now, now hear me out. Um, and, and I understand that if you travel through airports, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe the security line so long. What are they looking at, et cetera, et cetera. And I always understand that because I'm the same way. Look, when I get to the airport, all I want to do is get through the security line, get on my way. Hopefully the plane is going to be there. Hopefully I'm going to be able to get on my flight on time. Hopefully the flight is going to get where I'm going and I won't have a kid sitting behind me kicking the chair for kicking the back of my seat for a couple hours, and then my luggage will be there. So, I mean, it, there's no cachet to air travel anymore, and it does start with the TSA folks. But I'm always very sympathetic because I try to put myself in their position. First of all, they know that they're going to be dealing with people that have an attitude. They, they're, that they're frustrated. They want to go through that. Secondly, the truth of the matter is that 99.99999% of the time, your, your people aren't going to be trying to smuggle bombs or things like that onto the aircraft. you know. And, and to the extent you find something that's a problem, it's because somebody inadvertently forgot to take the scissors out of their bag or something like that. So you're, you're going through this and you're looking at all these things, and it is almost always going to be benign. And you know, in the typical person who's sitting there, for example, working the x-ray machine, God, how, how many different bags will they look at over the course of, of a day? All right? But, but – but, 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 if you ever make a mistake, you know, if, if you're the person that makes that mistake and somehow somebody gets that gun through or somebody gets the explosive device through or something happens, you know, that's you, you, you know, that's going to be it for a lot of reasons. So there's this incredible pressure. It's a mundane type of job. It's a thankless job. But at the same time, if you ever screw up, you know, you're in a lot of trouble. So that's why I, I always try to be 
especially nice when I'm going through there because I understand it's a tough it's a tough job. Um, and I try to be nice and I try to like this, even if they're asking you to do something that you think is kind of silly, it's like, all right, fine. I, I, I'm sorry. Or I forgot to take the coins out of my pocket or whatever. Sure. Whatever you need me to do, you want to, you want to wave the wand up and down. That's okay. It's fine. I'm not trying to smuggle anything onto the airplane. So I, I try to be sympathetic to this, but at the same time, sometimes stuff gets to be an overreaction, which brings me to this story. Um, her name is Diana Durkin. She's 19 years old. She goes to Texas Tech University, which is in Lubbock, Texas. Um, Texas Tech, they are the Red Raiders. One of their arch rivals in football is the University of Texas. And Gru, who's producing the show today, you know, the University of Texas, they are the Longhorns. And if you've ever watched a University of Texas football game on television, the fans in the stands routinely make a hand gesture symbolizing Longhorns. What it is is you um, extend your index finger and your little finger, and then you take your middle finger and your ring finger and you put them underneath. So you've got – you shape – it's like a Longhorn. Okay, so that's it. That's what the University of Texas does. And if you see people who are from the University of Texas, that's how they identify themselves to each other. They make the Longhorn sign at each other. All right? That's how they do it. Going back to 61 – this goes back to 1961. um, A guy who was a – I don't know if he was attended Texas Tech or his football fan or an alumni or whatever. In response to and, and huge rivalry, Texas Tech, Texas, huge rivalry, and the Texas Tech fans got sick of all the Texas fans making the Longhorn sign. So Texas Tech came up with their own sign, and it, it's it's you extend your thumb and your index finger, put the other three fingers under, so it's like you're forming a pistol. You know, that's it. And the and then you go around and you and, and you kind of pump your thumb up and down as if you're shooting the pistol. And the idea is that is the response. This is the history of this. This is the response to the Longhorns. It was like, okay, they're sticking their Longhorns in your face, and the Texas Tech people are making the symbol like they're shooting the Longhorns. That's that's what this is all about. But it, it goes back to 1961. But if you're a Texas Tech fan or alum, whatever, that's one of the things. You, you make, just like the Texas people will make the Longhorn sign at each other, the Texas Tech people will make th- this this gun sign at each other, the pistols. I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever ever watched like the football games and I was watching some YouTube of this you know they'll have like people come out on horses and they'll ride around and they'll make like they're shooting up this uh, the, the six shooters that that's the symbol that they do all right so the other day about a week ago there's this gal she is she attends Texas Tech she's in the line at the Houston airport getting ready to get on a plane but, she, but she's she's in the security line so she's going through there and she looks ahead of her in the security line, and she sees that there's a guy who's wearing a Texas Tech sweatshirt. All right? So he's a Red Raider. She's a Red Raider. And she wants to say hi. So what she does is she makes this gun salute at the guy who's ahead of her in the, the TSA line. You know, she she makes the, the gun salute at him. You know, she says... 
hey, you know, um, guns up. That that's the sign that that we make to each other when we see each other. And this is this is the hand symbol. She says, I love Texas Tech. I love the people. I love the school. Anytime I see somebody, I get really excited. So I mean, she throws up the handgun symbol at. The guy, she says, it's a cool bonding thing. I tried to make eye contact with him, and I threw up my handgun sign. She says, suddenly, she feels a tap on her shoulder. It was a TSA agent who pulled her out of line and asked to speak to her. The agent sternly asked her for her ID and said she was being pulled for making gun symbols in the airport. She said, this is the TSA agent, what are you doing? You can't do that in an airport. She says, she's thinking to myself, my God, they think I am a terrorist. I'm going to go to jail. She says, no, no, I'm not, I'm not a terrorist. I'm just a Texas tech grad. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, but just one segment. I am curious. Did TSA, in your opinion, overreact? She didn't pull out a gun. She didn't make threats. She didn't say, I've got a bomb. She didn't yell out, this is a hijack. What she did, she's in the Houston airport. She makes this gun symbol in the direction of somebody who's another Texas Tech grad. She gets pulled out of line and gets jacked up because of it. Did TSA overreact? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner. As Eric just said, 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so to TSA overreact, that what happens is this gal who makes the Texas Tech you know, gun shooting sign, she gets pulled out. She sends out a text right away. The text says, um, in the airport security line, I see someone wearing a Texas Tech hoodie. I look at them, and I do the gun hand signal because, um, you know, I'm from Texas Tech. TSA is now pulling me aside to talk to me. She said, Please don't send me to jail. I would not survive for very long. And TSA did. They, they jacked her up. They ended up giving her a screening. All right, was this an overreaction? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're first. Jeff, as someone who once got pulled aside for for cheese so they could look in it, <laughs> I think this girl is, is being a big snowflake. And I think that if she would have used common sense and would have known that there's a time and place for everything, I, um, I think that, that this wouldn't have happened to her. And I do not blame the TSA at all for doing that. What about – now, She it's not like she pulled out a gun or anything. She just made this gesture with her hand. Even if they, and obviously we'll assume that they had no idea that this was the Texas Tech sign, just the hand gesture in and of itself, do you think that's enough to get her jacked up? Yeah, because they have to check on that stuff and they have to be consistent. Because if they let that stuff go, then it'll just start escalating and people will just start doing really, really bad stuff in line. Okay, thanks for call, 414-799-1620. Keith in Pewaukee. Keith, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, what do you think? Well, on the surface, it appears that, that, that the TSA agent overreacted, but I'm wondering if there's some other circumstances, like, uh, for instance, i got to think that they check these. These TSA agents are checked every once in a while. To, they have to pass certain tests, and maybe this, this person failed on some TSA, you know, management check, and he's going by the book per letter so he doesn't stay, get in, stay in any trouble, you know. Do you, so you, you think that on the surface, you know, somebody's, 
uh, somebody's standing in line and they make this this gesture like shooting at one of the other people in line you think that that hand gesture in and of itself isn't enough to get shouldn't be enough to get you pulled out of line and jacked up not not under normal circumstances no but like i say there may be others maybe this agent was under surveillance mm-hmm. from other from his management or something okay thanks for call i'll tell you where i come down this in just a minute i'm curious uh john and wawatosa john what do you think good afternoon hey jeff hi john uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know if the TSA agent overreacted. I don't know the you know didn't hear really the rest of the story in terms of how the conversation went. But I got I got to say I think the young lady was uh, unaware of context, and I think context is really important for us wherever we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we need to be mindful of that if we're going to behave in certain ways. Uh, there's going to be potential impact, and I and you know she may have just really been a little fired up and a little careless. Uh, I hope the TSA agent uh, didn't come down on her too hard, but I certainly think it warranted in that in that situation a conversation. Yeah, to find jo- out what's going on. yeah, John. Th- thanks. I I agree with you completely. Um, you know, and and what happened is it they they pulled her out of line, and they took her aside, and they they gave her. They, they actually said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> you know, they, they and she said, "Oh my God!" And, and she said, "Oh, this is just the hook 'em horn sign." And they 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 gave her, they wanded her, they asked her about what she was doing, and then they let her then they let her go. And the truth is, I think that is exactly the right way to handle it. What what this woman did, you know, I I understand, and I understand she's not a terrorist, but that's why I kind of go back to where I started this conversation about what a thankless job that the TSA has. Imagine a different scenario. As a matter of fact, one of our texters kind of hits on this. Imagine, you know, she's doing this, which, it, it, okay, now that we know the context of it, it is an innocuous gesture. But one of the texters says, for example, what if she was an ex-boyfriend, if this was an ex-boyfriend or an ex-husband that she was doing this to? And, and what if, you know, this was intended as some sort of threat or some sort of menacing thing, and you, you just ignored that? Well, okay, you, you can't. I think in this case, TSA... Now, I think they handled it appropriately. It's sort of like, again, if I'm in, if I'm in the TSA line and I'm, I'm looking ahead and I see my buddy, you know, Jack, I don't yell out, hi, Jack. You just don't do that at airports. I mean, you, you don't. That's, that's a dumb sort of thing to do in the context. I'm not a terrorist. I'm not trying to create any sort of issues, but you yell hijack in a terrorist line and you're going to be in a tad of trouble. This is what I think the same thing is. You know, she makes just now if they had if they had recommended criminal charges or if they had said we're not letting you on the airplane or whatever, I would have had a different take on this. But when you do something like that, and that's why I mean, again, I. I cut the TSA agent some slack because I'm trying to sit there thinking, okay, you're looking at a million different bags, you're watching all these people go through, and you have this woman who's, you know, smiling, but she's making this gun sign at somebody who doesn't know what she's doing. Well, okay, yes, that to me warrants, you know, again, one of these inquiries, at least to find it's out, and once you determine that she's harmless and she's not carrying a gun and this is what she was doing, you kind of say, okay, fine. And my guess is perhaps this young woman has learned that, you know, moving forward, maybe you're best to kind of keep your hands by your side or in your pockets until you get through the security checkpoint and get on the plane. Just saying. It's 153. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I don't have a beef with, with TSA at all in this case.
209. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. I'm off on Monday. The, 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 the good folks at the Scripps Corporation give us we, we, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. It, it is a it is a paid holiday for us. And so and now, interestingly, also, um, it's also there's basketball on. Um, and I'll, I'll leave it. it. It is interesting. Dr. King's birthday. We close the schools and we have basketball games. I just I, I'll, I'll let people figure out whether there's an irony of that or not. But we have a Bucks game. Bucks play, I, I think, at 1230. Our coverage starts or something. So um, I'm off on Monday. It would have been a very short show. Anyways, I'll be back on uh, Tuesday. And it is interesting. I, I, I hope I hope people have an opportunity. I was watching a movie the other night, uh, Hidden Figures, which is now making the rounds of the, the pay cable things, the HBO. Um, it was just one of the, it might have been the best movie I saw last year. And it just... Um, you know, it just documents the sort of the civil rights struggle, and this it it's a particular time. You know, uh, it focuses on African American women who are and the roles they played at NASA uh, before John Glenn first orbited the Earth, and it's just it, it's one of the best movies I've seen, and it really does hit on so many different levels the struggles that uh, persons of color had at a particular time and um, it's one of those things when you look at what some people had to put up with and then you you look at how sometimes while there still is very real racism in this world in this country that needs to be addressed you, you understand what some people went through and then you you look at how some people try to you know play the race card as a weapon and um, just look at, just watch some of these stories and look what people had to deal with, especially not that long ago. All right. Um, I am a non-smoker. I, I've really never smoked. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I know a number of people who, who did smoke. I don't think I know anybody right now who still smokes cigarettes. Everybody I know who smoked recognized it wasn't good for them and quit years and years ago. One of the things you can always tell, though, is you can tell who who is a smoker. Now, grew way before your time. We had a we had a guy who worked here for kind of a cup of coffee. He didn't work here for very long, but he was a, I mean, a multiple pack of cigarette smoker a day. And I'm I'm trying to phrase this nicely um, because he was a nice enough guy, but he stunk. I mean, he his clothes reeked of of cigarette smoke to the point that you could always tell when he was in, at least in our our AM programming areas, because you'd be sitting there working and all of a sudden the the overriding smell of you know secondhand cigarette smoke would would permeate you'd say oh so and so is here and and nice enough guy but he just he reeked of cigarette smoke if you have ever sat in the car you know you get in a car of somebody who's a regular cigarette smoker and you can tell cuz the car stinks i mean it it just it just does and that's why for example for so many hotels nowadays you know they've got the smokers rooms and they've got the non-smoking rooms and they're they're really militant about that and there's big fines if you end up you know being if you smoke in a non-smoking room there's there's big fines and there's consequences because what inevitably happens is somebody who is a non-smoker you know gets into that room next and they can tell that you smoked and then they complain and it ends up being a a big deal and one of the things that I have found is some of the most violent 
and I don't mean violent as opposed to, you know, meaning go out and punch people out, but some of the most violent as in aggressive and aggrieved, you know, people when it comes to smoking are people who are reformed smokers or people who grew up in houses where mom and dad smoked and and they just have these violent reactions to it. You can also, if you smoke in a residence, it it kind of it permeates it perme it gets into the fabric of the of the house it gets into the furniture it gets into the paint it gets into that you can walk in and you can tell if there's a smoker in a house that's just the reality maybe there's a couple exceptions but as a general rule you can you can tell that in addition if you live in an apartment for example you know you can tell a lot of times if there's you know, a, a smoker in the apartment door next door because, you know, it, it gets, you know, it'll get through the wall or it get, you know, it'll get through the doorway or things like that. Now, this is a kind of a long way of leading into the story. Uh, last year, the, the government, the federal house, you know, federal HUD, HUD Housing and Urban Development, uh, announced that they were going to forbid cigarettes, cigars, pipes, and hookahs from being smoked in all living units, all indoor common areas, all administrative offices, and all outdoor areas within 25 feet of housing units. You know, and they announced that would apply to all public housing throughout the United States, and that included thousands of households in Wisconsin. Now, the kicker to that, though, was that uh, the states had until... Well, actually, this spring to put that in effect. So this ruling has been out there for a while, but it, it didn't – at least people had an opportunity to kind of um, ease into this rule. The rule announced was back in 2016, but it's not until this spring that it goes into effect. But now you know, we are at the point where um, very, very shortly – actually – no later than July 31st, this rule is going to go into effect, and people who live in public housing are not going to be allowed to smoke. There is an undercurrent of a problem here. Now, Wisconsin, they're starting to offer free quit smoking classes for public housing residents in Wisconsin because you're not going to have a choice after the next couple months. But that isn't stopping the controversy from going away. Namely, the question is, are we discriminating against people who are in public housing by saying that they are not allowed to smoke cigarettes in their units? I mean, I I own a house. You know, if I want to smoke in my house, I'm allowed to smoke in my house. My wife would kick my tail, but I am allowed to smoke in my house. The federal government isn't saying I can't smoke in my house. Um, if you live in a condo complex, well, depending on the rules of the condo, the government isn't telling you you can't smoke there. Now, the condo association might have rules, but, but that would be the private association. It's not the government telling you that you can't smoke. Are we discriminating against low-income people by saying if, you, if you're in public housing, we're not going to let you smoke? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a second. But how do you feel? Are we going too far by saying if you're in public housing, you know, if you're in the federally subsidized housing, we're going to put a restriction on you that we don't put on, I don't know, somebody who lives in a mansion in River Hills 
414-799-1620. Is this going too far? We discuss next. It's 217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Um, at the end of, well, at, at the end of July, rule goes into effect that says if you are living in federally subsidized public housing, and that applies to thousands of people in the state of Wisconsin, you are not going to be allowed to smoke. state of Wisconsin is getting ready to offer quit smoking classes to public housing residents. I want to talk about the larger issue. Are we discriminating against the poor by implementing a rule like this? Carol in Milwaukee. Carol, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey. Hi, Carol. Um, I think... I think it's uh, a fair rule simply because I've seen a lot of people that are in government housing and, you know, get help with food, et cetera. But then they're smoking $10 pack of cigarettes mm-hmm. like every day. Yeah, I must, I, I I must have about a half dozen people who have sent me texts making that same point. Um, if you can't afford to pay rent, maybe you shouldn't. You, maybe you can't afford to smoke. Um, but uh, right. but uh, but again, we don't. You know, we we don't put limits on that. For example, you know, if somebody is getting collecting food stamps, you know, the food share program, we right. don't let them allow them to use the food stamps to buy cigarettes. But we don't say, exactly. you know, as a condition of of getting food stamps, you can't smoke. We just say you have to find the money somewhere else. Right. Got it. Okay. But a lot of people will sell their food stamps, which is a huge market, right. I believe, to get the cigarettes. Um, I just think that if you are, you know, getting help, then that should be also, I mean, there's no way you could uh, control that um, and go check everyone that's not smoking. Right. Well, but I don't think, to me, I think, like, we're paying for people to smoke cigarettes while right. they live in a pay rent of $300. Well, well, thanks. See, I mean, I, I actually, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, uh, first of all, let, let's start with the premise that, that smoking is not good for you. And I, I think smokers and non-smokers, we could all uh, agree with that. Um, and and it's it's one of those that if you're living in my place, you're going to play by my, my rules. We put all, let, let's go back to our food stamp discussion. We put restrictions on food stamps. We say you, you can't use food stamps to buy booze, for example. You know, we make that as a policy decision. I, I don't think this is unreasonable given the health consequences. And keep in mind, like I say, it doesn't just necessarily affect the person who's the smoker. Let's say you've got that person living next door to you in the public house facility and they're allergic or they're the non-smoker it, it affects them a- as well and this is one of those deals where i guess if you want to smoke in your residence well all right you know try to figure out a way to get yourself in a situation where you're out of the publicly subsidized housing 414-799-1620 dan in milwaukee dan you're on wtmj dan yes sir hi go ahead you're in the air yeah uh I think it is okay that they can ban smoking in, in public housing. I mean, time, times have changed. We're in an era where you you can't smoke any place. Yeah. So now right. this is, you're, you're living someplace that does not belong to you. I don't mean that loosely, but it's just. Right, no, you're a renter. Right. You're, you're a renter. Exactly. And that's. You no, know, I, back no, I in think. The day, 
No, I'm sorry, Dan. I didn't mean to cut you. I, no, I think you're right. It's it, it is it is perfectly, I think, all right for for example, as a landlord to say, all right, I, I'm renting facilities, but this is a non-smoking facility. So, if you want to rent this place, okay, you you know, we don't have pets, or we have pets. Um, we don't allow smoking because I'm making the policy decision. Um, I, I think that there's some tenants who won't like it. I, I'm worried about, you know, the risk of people falling asleep and setting their couches on fire or, you know, whatever. I, I think, you know, a landlord has a right to say I'm going to have a non-smoking building. And I, I think the government has a right to say, okay, we're going to have uh, public housing in this case, you know, be non-smoking. Pat in Sheboygan. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Hello. You stole my thunder. Oops. Okay, great a, minds think alike, my friend. <laughs> I think as a landlord, you have a right to do what you want with your own building. You know, I mean, if I want you, if you want to rent that place for me, I think you have to abide by my rules. And if I say I don't want no smoking in it, that's the way it is. Right. Now, in this case, we, being we the taxpayers, we the U.S. government, you know, we're kind of the landlords. And I think that's the rule. And to me, again, this is this is a rule that, that makes sense. And if you... If you don't want to follow it, well, okay, find some other place to live, right? That's right. We're, we're not forcing them to live there. There's a lot of other opportunities out there for them to live. If they want to work, uh, go in a smoking place, go find it. Does know? the rule make sense to you? I mean, is it does it make sense to say non-smoking? Absolutely. I, uh, I'm a non-smoker, and I have a problem with going into, like you said, a house or a hotel room or whatever that people don't smoke in, and it, it bothers me. You know, I, I don't like the smell. I don't like it being on their clothes. My, you know, or, you know, even walking into the room and coming out, you know, my wife just said, man, you were smoking. <laughs> Somebody yeah. was smoking. Yeah. So it, it is quite obvious, you know. So, yeah, I, I think uh, a person, that's my personal right. You know, I, I don't smoke, and I don't think uh, somebody that does smoke should be, yeah. you know, affecting the way that I, you know, that I, I am. You know? I, no, th- th- thanks for calling. I always, I always tell this story. Melissa Barclay, who's in getting ready to do the news. I always tell this story. A Num- number of years ago, um, I was invited to, it was a scotch, and, and I, I, don't, I don't smoke anything now. I haven't for years. But I was invited to this scotch and cigar dinner. It was some sort of fundraiser. It was at the Yacht Club down here. And so what they did is they, they had, you got, you got the chance to like sample really good scotches, and then they had all these cigars. So I go, and of course you're wearing, I'm wearing a wool suit or whatever, and I'm there for a couple hours, you know, I have a couple of the cigars. I, I come back, and I've told this story before, I, I walk into the house, and my wife at the time is, she, she's standing in the foyer. <clears throat> she takes one look at me, and she says, take your clothes off. But it's not a good take your clothes off. It's not the kind of take your clothes. You smell right. like cigar it, smoke. It is not the kind of take yes. your clothes off that you, you know, take your clothes off. I got to have you. It is take your clothes off. Next thing I know, she's come back with a garbage bag. Oh, my gosh. Honest, well, honest to God. She says, take them off, put them in the garbage bag. <laughs> All the clothes go in the garbage bag. They go on the front porch. And then I am told to go up and take a shower. Oh my. And the Oh no! And the <laughs> and then they it's and then they, they go to the dry cleaners. But it was you know every guy wants to say, oh take your clothes off. Uh uh-uh, uh no this was not that kind of good the take wrong your clothes kind, off. Right. And of course I, you don't notice it. You know you're in this room where yeah. everybody's smoking cigars and stuff, and you don't recognize that you reek. And yeah. like the next I I will concede that the next morning I went out and kind of like, you know, with my tail between my legs, get ready to go take this stuff, and I open up the garbage bag, I go, oh! You wow. can definitely smell it then, it, yeah. It, it was not an undeserved take-your-clothes-off, but I just always think about that. All right, we got Pop Culture Corner coming up in just a couple minutes. It is 2.28. This is Jeff Wagner. 
235. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is interesting. Um, Talkers Magazine, which is sort of the, it is to my industry what, I don't know, variety might be to the film industry. And they, they come out on a daily basis with things. And um, actually, that's a very, very good job. And I, it's, a, it's a regular read for me. Um, they've got several pieces about how the dynamic has changed. And, um, again, we, we spent 45 minutes in the first hour of the program talking about the, the word that President Trump supposedly used in connection with immigrants and, and how um, on a lot of cable, th- that word is not a word that you would say, you know, on broadcast television or over the air radio. And yet a lot of the cable channels are doing it. Um, and a number of newspapers who under normal circumstances would never print that word, um, are in fact printing the word. You know, we made, I don't know if, if technically in context it would be an FCC violation, but I mean, I don't want to find out one way or the other. I mean, we just made a simple decision that we're, you, you could discuss it without having to use that phrase. Everybody knows what the phrase is, but it's an interesting piece about how just different broadcast outlets are, are wrestling with that and how the dynamic has really changed that a word that, you know, would, would not be, you know, reported, would not be typically, you know, spelled out or said is now being done so in a routine fashion and you know again it's it's the whole issue of where does the first amendment come in and you know typically what is the context but again it's just it's it's like with so many things with president trump it's just kind of changed the overall narrative because i i will tell you you know two years ago i would not have necessarily dreamed that you'd be spending 45 minutes talking about the use of a word like that and is it racist in the context of the president that's story number one story number two um well this is just out in the wall street journal Trump lawyer arranged a $130,000 payment for adult film stars' silence. Now, this is kind of a dicey story because it's been around before, but here's how the Wall Street Journal is reporting it. A lawyer for President Donald Trump arranged a $130,000 payment to a former adult film star a month before the 2016 election as part of an agreement that precluded her from publicly discussing an alleged sexual encounter with Mr. Trump, according to people familiar with the matter. Michael Cohen, who spent nearly a decade as top attorney at the Trump Organization, arranged the payment to the woman, Stephanie Clifford, in October of 2016 after her lawyer negotiated the non-disclosure agreement with Mr. Cohen, these people said. Ms. Clifford, whose stage name is... Stormy Daniels, of course it is, (laughs) has previously alleged the encounter with Mr. Trump took place after they met at a July 2006, this goes back a number of years, celebrity golf tournament, Lake Tahoe, these people said, uh, Mr. Trump married Melania Trump in 2005, and and it goes on and says the Trump campaign denies this and all, but this this will be the, if you're wondering what, what kind of story could, could push the president's use of that particular word off the front pages by Sunday. Remember, some people say this is going to be going on for months. No, I told you this story wasn't going to last for months because it was going to be replaced by another story. And if you're wondering what could push, did the president use that particular word and was it racist off the front pages, it would be a story alleging that he paid hush money to a porn star named Stormy Daniels. That would be that kind of story. I just You always wonder, 
How do you pick those particular names? No, I digress. In any event, the Wall Street Journal has that. I'm sure that's going to be the subject of a coverage on the news today. All right. We are at the point in the day where we put aside the, the heavy lifting. We stopped talking about Medicaid reform and smoking in public places and what's going on in Washington. And we try to go into the good weekend with a little bit of fun. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. Let me get right to it. Um, over the, I was actually New Year's Day. I went and I saw the movie The Darkest Hour, um, which is it focuses on about the, the first three or four weeks that Winston Churchill was the prime minister uh, in Great Britain, right right at the time where World War Two was was starting, or right at Britain's involvement in this. Absolutely fascinating movie, and and the Gary Gary Oldman who Oldman who's the actor did a tremendous just a, fa- a tremendous job. He's probably the odds-on favorite to win the best ask Oscar, best actor Oscar this year. And and candidly, I mean, I guess we'll have to wait to see the nominees, but he did a tremendous job. I can't imagine anybody doing a better job than he did. But th- but the character that he created was absolutely tremendous. The Winston Churchill. Now Winston Churchill, of course, this is biographical, so. Winston Churchill was, of course, this larger-than-life figure, so he's not really a movie character, but it was a memorable performance involving a memorable character. And I thought I thought what we would do today is talk about movies. always love talking about movies in Pop Culture Corner, but talk about movie characters. I've Over the last couple of weeks, when I had some time off, I went back and I watched some of my, my very, very favorite movies. Here's what we're going to do. Pop Culture Corner, and by the way, we are live streaming this. Dan Dan, the social media man, is here. We're up on Facebook Live, so you go to facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ, and you can see us in the studio and watch us as we do the work, our job, but um, here's what I want to do. Pop Culture Corner this week, 414-799-1620. The greatest movie character ever could be a starring role, could be a supporting role, could be male, could be female, could be, uh, again, uh, a a real-life drama, could be a Churchill character, could be a fictional character. But when you think about movies, the greatest movie character ever created could be from a romantic comedy, could be from a drama, could be from a horror movie, that one character that comes to your mind. And what I always advise people, first of all, is please call early because I want to get to as many calls as I possibly can, but also go with your first instincts. When I say that, the best character ever, most memorable character, what's the one that pops into your mind? We're back to discuss. And again, you can follow us on Facebook Live. It's Facebook com slash 620 WTMJ 242 Jeff Wagner WTMJ Two forty four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is very cool. Get to know the new general manager of your Green Bay Packers, John McCure and Greg Matzik. Talk exclusively with Brian Gudakund at right Gudakunst. That's it. Gudakunst, right. At 3.50 today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay, Pop Culture Corner, greatest movie character ever. I was thinking of this after I saw um, uh, the, the Winston Churchill character portrayed on Darkest Hour. It was amazing. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in West Bend. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi uh, I would say Clint Eastwood, and then not only is Dirty Harry, but it, in all his movies, those facial expressions that more what to say. Well, that the Harry. I mean, thanks. I mean, you want to talk about an iconic character, um, the, the Dirty Harry, the Harry Callahan character in you know the the 
the the Dirty Harry movie and then a couple of those sequels. I, I mean, yeah, he was he was the face of the of a certain part uh, part part of the 1970s. No question about it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I love Clint Eastwood movies. Let's talk to um, Russell in Brookfield. Russell, good afternoon. It's the Godfather. Oh, Marlon Brando's character, right? What was better than him? I mean, and he had every face in that movie. He had the loving grandfather, and yet he had this cold-blooded murderer or killer, or whatever. You know, he just whatever whatever needed to take place at that particular time, he was in control. He was in command. He gave the orders. He was it. You know, the interesting thing about that too is they had to fight to get Marlon Brando that role. I mean, a lot of a lot of the studio executives didn't think, you know, Marlon Brando's career was kind of in a tailspin and he had a reputation of being a problem and they they really had to fight to get him that role and that you know, that ended up certainly being the dominant role of his career. Now, thanks for coming. I think you can make an argument that the Vito Corleone character um is perhaps the most recognizable character ever. Let me throw another one out there, and he's only in a handful of scenes, but, I mean, think about the Hannibal Lecter character in Silence of the Lambs. He's only in about five or six scenes in that entire movie, but, um, you know, you, you say Silence of the Lambs, and everybody recognizes and remembers that. Let's talk to Mark in Whitewater. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Mark. Um, Rick Lane. Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. Well, you know, I, anybody that calls with Casablanca has to get on the air because that's one of my two or three all-time favorite movies. That's a movie that I never get tired of, and it was the quintessential Bogart role. I mean, uh, you know, when, when you think of Humphrey Bogart and you think of that period of time, it, it, Casablanca, it, it is that character, yeah. You got it. Thanks, Jeff. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, it's, and that that's a movie... You know, made in nineteen what forty two or whatever it was that that holds up forty one whatever forty three whenever it was made just holds up incredibly incredibly well. Tyler in Oconomowoc. Tyler, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How's it going, Jeff? Real well, thank you. What's your movie? What's your character? Uh, first one that popped into my mind was uh, Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cookie's Nest. Yeah. You know, a little. I'm not a huge Jack Nicholson fan. Little Jack Nicholson goes a long way with me, but I think. I think that was his best role ever, um, even better than Chinatown. And you're right that that McMurphy, no, no McMurphy was the nurse, but um, right, yeah, Nurse Nurse Ratchet and the McMurphy character in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He did an incredible job. That's an amazing movie, and that's that's all on his shoulders. Yeah, it was one of his best, that's for sure. Yeah, thanks. No, the, McMurphy, right, right. It was Nurse Ratchet. It was McMurphy, the character. Um, I, I remember I had read the book, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and it's one of those where a lot of times you go to watch the movie after you've read the book and you're disappointed. Uh, not with that one at all. All right, Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Greetings and salutations. Yes, sir. How about Rufus T. Firefly, Groucho <laughs> Marx's character in Duck Soup? Oh, you're dating you're a yourself. you teenager, Groucho is like a god. You are, you, Dave, you are, you are dating yourself, but yeah, Groucho Marx, incredible. Um, all right, let's go to our, let's see, our text line. George S. Scott, George C. Scott as Patton. Yeah, that's, I, I think, again, and that kind of, I'm glad somebody mentioned that because that, that bootstraps onto the the Churchill character. Um, you know, I mean, Patton. 
I don't know what George Patton was like in real life, but I mean, George C. Scott inhabited that character, and I think you're um, right. Um, let's see on our text line, Francis McDormand um, in Fargo. Um, that was an incredible performance as well. She's got another great one in this movie that's up now, Three Billboards and Ebbing or something. Haven't seen it. The movie's generating a little bit of controversy. But, yeah, um, Colleen says, Tony, that would be the John Travolta character from Saturday Night Fever. Bob says, uh, Carl Spackler, that's the Bill Murray character in Caddyshack. Michelle says, Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka, 414-799-1620, most memorable character ever, Joe in West Bend. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. I'm going to go with uh, Ray Liotta's character, Henry Hill in Goodfellas. You know, a little... A little um, Ray Liotta goes a long way with me too, but but you're right that that's a movie you never get tired of watching, and he just inhabits that character. Um, uh, if if you ever saw the real life Henry Hill, who passed away not that long ago, he was a real dirtbag. But you know Ray, Ray Liotta gives him gives him that Hollywood touch. Well, he was a dirtbag in the movie too. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. But but right. It, thanks for, but at least he's kind of an attractive dirtbag. You could see why you know people liked him as much. The real Henry Hill. I'm not sure I got that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Tom in New Berlin. Tom, you're on WTMJ. The most memorable character ever. Hi. Hi, Tom. One of the most memorable characters would have to be Steve McQueen's character of Papillon in the film Papillon, aside Dustin Hoffman. And other assorted characters. Great you know, character. th- that's. I watched that movie about a month ago. I, I hadn't seen it for years and years, and I forgot what a really good movie that was. It, you're right. Steve McQueen, that's one of those that you watch that movie and you almost forget it's Steve McQueen. You know, you really do. It's a real transformation for me, and I appreciate the call. Thank you. No, thanks for call. You know, as long as you're mentioning other incredible characters, um, The Graduate. And this is, I think this is the 40th anniversary of The Ga- Graduate, um, you know, that really kind of brought Dustin Hoffman to premise, promise. That the, the, the Benjamin character in The Graduate, I would, I would mention. I will tell you uh, a movie that I watched twice over the Christmas break just because it happened to be on, and I can't turn it off when I do. Um, you talk about a memorable character, and again, this is from the realm of real life. Uh, Peter O'Toole, it was really his movie debut, Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, it's just he inhabits he inhabits that character, and, and I mean, I understand it's kind of a, a glorified and perhaps glamorized look at the real T.E. Lawrence, but if you get a chance to watch Lawrence of Arabia, you will just be blown away by the performance. Zach, yeah, Zach, in Small River, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, hello. Thanks for taking my call. W- where are you calling from? It's actually Fall River. Fall River. Okay, got it. All right. Yeah, I know where Fall River. I was thinking Small River. I've been all over Wisconsin. I know where Small River is. Fall River I got. Okay, who's your character? <laughs> to me, it's uh, Jeff Bridges as the dude. The He's dude about memorable, memorable characters, but the dude stands out. And I don't know how many of these characters named today have branched off and started their own religion, but Judaism <laughs> is a real thing. The, the dude abides. Yeah, from the Big Lebowski. Um that's a that's a pretty good one. I mean, it, it's not Churchill, it's not Patton, it's not Lawrence of Arabia, but the dude does abide. Doesn't he? Definitely abide. No, that, thanks for calling. That that is it's it's. I was watching a a Hallmark show last night with with Fran and my wife, and we were. Um, the brother, Bo Bridges, was in there, and you know we were talking about how they just had the different career arcs. And I said, "Now, you know, you know, Jeff Bridges once once he became the dude, that kind of changed the entire 
dynamic. Um, let's talk to John in Greendale. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think? Um, well, anything with John Candy yeah. for sure, but I'm going to go with either Uncle Buck or Ox in the movie Stripes. <laughs> I watched Stripes the other night, too. I still like that. I just I can't help myself. I, I just I just like that. Well, and then you're done with the mud fighting, and they're in, you know, standing yep. line, and, and Sergeant Hulka's yelling at them and want to know if they were out at night, and they're just plastering the mud, and Tandy's like, well, well, no, Sergeant, well, well, yeah, I guess we were. John, yeah, that's right. No, John, I mean, John Candy taken way too soon. So many good roles. Yeah, Uncle Buck is certainly a memorable character. Also, his character from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with uh, Steve Martin would be one as well. Sue in Peshtigo. Hi, Sue. You're on WTMJ. I liked Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins right. in The Shawshank Redemption. That yep. was excellent. Bo- both of them great roles. Um, Morgan Freeman was outstanding, but but Tim Robbins, that that's just, especially since they show that movie all the time, that's another one I never get tired of watching. Me either. No, thanks for calling. Let me see. We're kind of up against uh, the clock. Uh, Tom Selleck playing Ike, John Wayne, Val Kilmer playing Doc, uh, Doc Holliday, Darth Vader. Memorable character, got that. Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan. Uh, Han Solo. You know, actually, I, I thought if we had more time, I'm sure somebody would have said um, the the Indiana Jones character, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That would certainly be one. But all that one of the things that makes movies so cool is the fact that you've got the just the great the the, the great performances and the memorable characters. If I had to pick one, I go back to what I said a little earlier. I still I, I'm going to stick with. Um, the Hannibal Lecter character, Anthony Hopkins. I mean, you want to talk about just a character. Um, Godfather might be, Marlon Brando might be number two, but I, I, I'd i go, again, I, I think memorable characters, Hannibal Lecter, it stays with you. All right, it's 2.55. John McCure is the next. We'll find out what he has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. You can check out the replay of this because, again, it's up on Facebook Live. 2.55, Jeff Wagner.